Good morning, everyone. With me this morning is Alaska U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Good to be with you. How are you doing, Senator? Well, I'm I'm doing really well. It's kind of a jump ball day for me. Uh, woke up this morning in Anchorage and headed to the airport to board an airplane for Bethel, where I was supposed to spend the day. Um, there was a storm coming in that was... <clears throat> not making it look like I was going to be able to get out of Bethel and thus would miss my Juno day here tomorrow. So I called an audible and just said, hmm, maybe I'll try to get to Juno a day early and uh, kind of switch the communities. <clears throat> Check the weather. Beautiful here. And uh, next thing you know, I'm here in Juno and uh it's kind of a spontaneous day, which is kind of nice. Spontaneous. Yeah, spontaneous. We call it a Leconte moment. And <laughs> to give a little definition to that, uh, not too many months ago, we were, we were up in, in Haines and uh, not unsurprisingly, weather shut in. Nothing was, nothing was flying, nothing was moving. But um, uh, at the last moment, just hopped the ferry and it was one of those blessings where you had four hours to just visit with people on the boat and just kind of slow everything down. And so ever since then, when when plans don't go exactly as I had planned or others had planned for me, and we just have to roll with it, I've been calling it my Leconte moment. So... One way or the other, you're here in Southeast. So I'm welcome. here in Southeast, and it's beautiful. And you were here not too long ago either, mm-hmm, too. So mm-hmm. what have you been hearing from folks here well, in the region? I tell you, whether you're here in Southeast or whether uh, you're out in Southwest, where I was just a couple days ago, up in, uh, up in the, um, uh, up in the Unalakleet uh, coastal areas, um, whether you're in the interior or Anchorage, people are people are talking about inflation. They're talking about what they're still paying for fuel. Prices have come down just a just a hair, but it's um, it's really about uh, the cost of living. Transportation costs are so high um, everywhere in in the state, and and that is a big topic of discussion everywhere I'm going in in the state. It's housing the lack of availability of, of housing and, and certainly affordable housing. Also, the workforce. Where is everybody? There's, there are plenty of jobs, but uh, not plenty of people who are, are willing to, to step up and take those jobs. And uh, that has been a, 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 really, um, uh, a really big topic. Again, every part of the state that I am in it's housing, and I know here in Southeast particularly. You know, I looked at your your Southeast economic study that was uh, delivered just a couple months ago, oh, yes, and it was housing, status, housing, yeah. housing, and uh, uh, we're certainly hearing that everywhere else as well. It, it, it tails between the two because that because we saw with the recent tour season here that workforce shortages had affected the tour the, the tourism <coughs> operators. Yeah, and even if they do find folks, where did they put them? And so to talk a little bit about housing for a moment, is there any federal solutions, would you say? Well, typically when we think about housing and housing solutions, you don't necessarily think of, of the federal government. But there is a role to play. And certainly, uh, certainly whether it's uh, affordable housing credits, which uh, 
we, I have been engaged with others uh, to help facilitate, but also um, doing things like increasing the Indian Housing Block Grant Program. We haven't we haven't increased it in 12 years, so I've, I've pushed for an increase uh, in that account. Reauthorization of NAHASDA, which is the Native American um, Housing uh, Reauthorization. If if we can if we can focus on some of those housing stocks, I think that that can take some pressure off. But there are other areas that that we can help, and we're doing that within the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan bill that we passed just a year ago, and we're starting to see the real on the ground benefits. Whether it's whether it's to um, ports or harbors or broadband, but also think about think about. Um, housing and what you need to have a complete house well you have to have water um sewer is kind of a of a of a nice nice thing to have in some of our communities we know that we still lack running water we still lack um basic sanitation i believe some honey buckets in some places in in again probably be still around 30 of our communities that is a challenge i was in stebbins not uh, not more than 10 days or so ago and that community <clears throat> has been waiting for running water for 40 years and you know it's coming but with the infrastructure bill there is there are extraordinary investments to be made in in water and wastewater 3.5 billion dollars um uh uh, has been directed through uh, IHS um, for water and sanitation. That's going to help dramatically. So these types of infrastructure investments will will help to facilitate housing. Anybody that's looking to do any kind of new development knows that it's it's pretty tough to to be able to 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 sell your lots to move housing unless you've got uh, unless you've got that utility the infrastructure. Um, as part of it as well. And moving on to the infrastructure bill, I recall you had said the ferry system was at the top of the list for for needs. <clears throat> Describe the challenge of explaining to your colleagues <laughs> that in some communities that is our highway. It is our highway and thus the name, the Alaska Marine Highway System. We, we, we look at, at our communities here from Wrangell up Lynn Canal to Haines and Skagway, down south to, to Ketchikan. <clears throat> These communities are not connected by road, can't be connected by road, um, but need to have connections to one another. And for decades, decades, we have had an Alaska Marine Highway System that allowed for not only families to, to move around, but to get the kids' basketball teams, the church groups, the choir, uh, to get goods <clears throat> goods moved. We we had a system that we could rely on. It has not it has not been one that has has functioned well in recent years, and we have seen what that means to these families. Uh, we see what it means in in the, the small little grocery stores in some of these communities when you you really don't have the ability to to uh, uh, to fill up your truck and um, you know move move from one coastal community to another. So this was an initiative that for me had to be a priority. I think it helps that I was raised here in Southeast, born in Ketchikan and, and lived here in Juneau and in Wrangell. I get it. That's how our family traveled when when I was young here. So 
what we needed to do is to to breathe new life into an old system that is so important. And so uh, we have included not only federal highway aid dollars to help with the operation and maintenance of the Alaska Marine Highway System. For the first time, we'll be able to utilize that. But a billion dollars nationwide to establish what we're calling essential ferry service to support rural communities. Now, keep in mind, that's for the entire country. So it's not like Alaska is going to get a million uh, dollars there. But what we are doing is we are specifically targeting um, essential ferry service. In other words, those areas that uh, are not connected have have limited means to be connected and um, meet many of the the definition and criteria that we've set out in in the law. In addition to doing that, we also recognize that um, in some of our our communities that are closer together, for instance, Haines and Skagway, the opportunity to to establish a pilot program with an EV, an electric vessel, uh, is, is something that... There's oh, an no reason. Ferry? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't. There's no reason that we shouldn't be looking to this. In in the Scandinavian countries, they have been they have been utilizing electric ferries for 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 decades, and so I think there's great interest uh, not only for an area like that. Um, uh, certainly, the folks in Sitka have expressed interest in in that, um, and so it is. It's efforts like this that I think are really going to help um, help our marine highway system get back on its feet and be sustainable. We we cannot, we do not want to to federalize our marine highway system. This needs to be the state of Alaska that determines what our system looks like, and 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 really. Um, works to ensure that it, it, it works for the families and the communities that, that rely on them and need them. But, but I think it is important to recognize that just as we provide federal highway dollars to everybody up in South Central, you know, that whole road system coming from Homer and Seward all the way up to Fairbanks there, just as we receive federal highway dollars for that, that in, an, in a region where we do not have connection by, by road uh, and cannot have connection by road, mm-hmm. that we should be entitled to receive federal support for this essential service. So I did have to convince my colleagues um, that this was, this was not just paying for Alaskans to go on the equivalent of a cruise ship these are not cruise ships. These are our workhorses out there. And and I think it was important for them to understand what it means to be a community that really has no other alternative. Now, granted, we've got seaplanes, and, and we're, we're very appreciative for that. But like my trip to Haines, there was no, there was no float plane that was going to be able to get me in, in and out uh, of Haines on, on, on that given day, actually, uh, those two days that that we went up and back. And so having, having this service is really essential for us. And 
uh, it was important to explain to colleagues, I think I did such a good job explaining it that many of them want to come here to Alaska and say, we want to, we want to go on, on your Alaska Marine Highway system and test it out. So well, they're more than welcome anytime. Oh, well, they can learn even more about it. Now, you're, you're also coming off last week's debate there in Anchorage. And during that debate, Senator, you called the Supreme Court confirmation process broken. Mm-hmm. Could you expand mm-hmm. on that point here? Yeah, yeah. It was it was mainly about the credentials we should be looking at. Is, is yeah. that what you were saying? Well, it is only the Senate that uh, that is involved in the confirmation of judges, whether they be federal judges or whether they be Supreme Court justices. And it is laid out in the Constitution that we have the role of advice and consent. And, and that's something that I take very seriously as, as a member of the Senate, is to, to review their background and their credentials, um, to really look at their, their, their rulings and opinions, to, to gauge their judicial temperament to uh, to assess their independence and their bias, so that they will be true to true to follow the law and not necessarily follow the the uh, uh, the the will, if you will, of of whomever appointed them. So I take it very seriously. What we're seeing in recent years, though, is there seems to be less of a critical review of all of those factors that I've laid out. And those are not just Lisa Murkowski's factors. Those are factors that when, when, when uh, a governor is appointing judges to, to the Alaska courts, they look at exactly the same criteria. We all do. But we've gotten away from looking at those criteria to really just looking at who has named that judge or justice. And my observation in the debate, and I, I, I've seen this play out in the years that I've been in the Senate now, we are, we are almost getting to a point where it is an automatic rubber stamp if a Republican president appoints a judge, all Republicans just automatically provide their consent and the democrats automatically oppose they put a roadblock up we provide automatic rubber stamp consent same is true when the the the, the tables are flipped and a, and a democrat in the white house appoints a democrat the republicans will oppose and the democrats seem to just rubber stamp that's not what was intended in the Constitution. I don't think that that is healthy for us and our systems of governance. We have three separate but equal branches. The legislative branch, by its very nature, is political. The executive branch, by its nature, is also political. The judiciary was designed, is designed to be as, as, as apartisan, as nonpartisan as possible. And yet what we're doing 
by injecting the politics into the politics of confirmation into uh, into this the, the judicial branch. We're we're going to turn we're going to turn the courts into nothing more than a, a, a political extension of of the the partisan nature that we're seeing in the legislative and executive branch. And I don't think that's right. So when I say it's broken, we all need to re-engage. We all need to look very critically. Um, And it means that, you know, you might have to, you might have to uh, take heat from your party. Um, But Keep in mind, this is this is about the balance of power that we have in our in our government today, and I I just don't think it's wise for us to to drag the judiciary into the partisan politics of today. Now, Senator, to talk about bipartisanship, uh, we've got some time. Could you explain your recent announcement that you'll be ranking Congresswoman Peltola first? Well, Kevin, you've you've been around me um, a while, and know that uh, I'm somebody that you ask me a question, I want to I want to give you a, an answer. And I was at AFN um, and had been asked after after my speech there um, about the the uh, cooperative nature that the the delegation has um, and the reporter observed that it just seems di- the, the reporter was actually from Washington DC and uh, uh, they observed that things appeared to be different here that we there was a collegiality and uh, that Alaskans were just a little more independent-minded, and I affirmed that and said, "Yes, in fact, that was the case." And and so the reporter kind of quickly or casually asked, "Well, so are you going to rank Mary first? And I just just very quickly, without really even thinking about it, said, "Yeah, um, I uh, I have known Mary Peltola since." She and I served in the legislature together. We came in at the same time. We were both um, uh, uh, young mothers uh, of boys at the same time. Her kids were, her boys were younger than mine, but we shared a lot um, uh, just as, as, as friends in the legislature. And we have remained friends over the past 25 years. Um, and so when I am looking to uh, to to my choice, I have to evaluate the values of the candidates and and what they stand for, and see if they represent my values as well. Uh, so I had to make that uh, that decision, just as everyone will do in in this uh, rank choice that we will have in exactly one week from today. Um, they'll have to to make that evaluation. I made my evaluation, and that's where I am. Now, before we before we come to a close here, there was also legislation uh, Congresswoman Peltola had introduced, and I saw that you had companion legislation there at the Senate. We've been hearing a lot about fentanyl and mm-hmm. how it's been killing folks, and, yeah. and what I'm talking about specifically is Bruce's right. law. 
how could this further what yeah. we're hearing yeah. with these sad stories? It, horribly, horribly tragic stories. Um, I, I met um, Bruce's mother uh, in probably January of this year. She came to, um, uh, actually the very first time we met her was over Zoom. Um, and then she later came to Washington, D.C. And she was just, um, uh, everything was just so raw because she had just lost her son um, to poisoning from fentanyl just mere months earlier. And she is a strong woman, um, uh, a school counselor, who vowed that she was going to do everything that she could to make sure that other young people did not um, did not see the the tragic end that her son did. Bruce had struggled with substance abuse previously, but he had really turned his life around and um, was in a good place. And he received a fentanyl laced pill from a quote friend, um, and. He was, he was dead literally within minutes. Um, Sandy Snodgrass is is an extraordinary advocate, and her story um, is one that is shared by far too many, not only here in Alaska but around the country, of losing a loved one to to this shocking, horrific, um, almost instantaneous death that comes with fentanyl. So we worked together to, um, to, to draft what we call Bruce's Law. And this is, this is designed to help with education, um, most fundamentally. It's, it is surprising and scary to know how, how little people know about fentanyl and its, its I mean, it's, Toxicity is, is probably not the right word because it makes it sound like, well, it's toxic, but it's not going to kill you. You know, a, a, a tiny, tiny little measure of, of fentanyl, like the size of just something on the tip of your finger, can, can kill you. And so making sure that, that everyone understands that you should not assume that any drug that you have purchased illegally is safe. You should not assume that anything that you have not been been prescribed and received through your doctor or your pharmacist, you should not assume that it is safe. I was just out in in the village of Togiak a uh, day before yesterday in, in southwest uh, Alaska, just above Dillingham. They've had four deaths from fentanyl um, just this, this past summer. This is a small, remote village in the little community of New Stuyahook. Same thing. There is no, there is no community too small or too remote um, that seems safe. And so uh, we've introduced it. Uh, Representative Peltola has introduced it in the House. My hope is that we'll be able to advance this before the end of the year. Um, too many... Too many lives are at risk um, to not do everything that we can when it comes to educating people about fentanyl. Well, Senator, we are 
out of time. We're actually in overtime for a moment. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to add while we're in this uh, in this part of the program? Well, just happy happy to be here in Juneau on a beautiful day. Um, it's exactly one week from the election, and we're just reminding everyone have have a have a plan for voting. If you're not um, if you're not sure what your week might look like. Go in and and vote early, but just don't forget to vote. It's too important for the state of Alaska, and I would certainly be honored to to receive the vote of the, the good people here in the Juneau area. Well, thank you for coming in this morning. Thank you. Good to be here.